This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, April 25th, the This Bedtime is Bananas edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast. That's what it's called. I'm not saying that it's the best. I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter Noah is four and my son Ami is one. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's five. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Today on the show, we're talking about bedtimes. Most little kids are early to rise, early to bed, but what should our letter writer do if her toddler's bedtime keeps creeping up? How early is too early? But before we get into that, we wanted to dive into our mailbag and share some of your thoughts. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. I wanted to follow up on your recent episode wondering about work. I completely agree that making the right decision comes down to what is best for that person at that moment. I also, however, wanted to write in to say one piece that I think was missing from your advice and sometimes is an overlooked part of the conversation. Childcare and daycare. I'm here to say that it is okay to enlist the help of professional childcare, regardless of what you choose to do with your career. I thought that I would be able to do it all when we had our baby 18 months ago, work every day from home and take care of our baby. In reality, it was almost impossible, especially as that infant grew up to be a toddler who was walking, needed attention, and wanted to play all the time. I felt completely overwhelmed, but I also felt so guilty about putting her in daycare, thinking that I had to do all the work to be a good mom. On top of that, I felt a lot of pressure from our families to be a stay-at-home mom without any childcare and potentially without a career. When I felt myself really beginning to break, we started sending our daughter to daycare three days a week. And then, oh my, was that the right decision. My daughter is learning so much at daycare, and she is with the most amazing teachers who give her the time and attention that I just couldn't do myself. Now I fully believe that daycare teachers are saints and should be paid insanely well. But that's a whole other conversation. Our kid loves daycare so much that we now send her five days a week, and I haven't looked back since. And if I did end up quitting my job for whatever reason, if I could financially afford it, I would keep her in that same school. Let's work on destigmatizing childcare and giving parents the freedom and support to choose what works for their family and for their mental health. Much love. So happy my kid is in daycare. Yes. I'm sorry we didn't include this because you should definitely not feel guilty about using daycare, about getting babysitters, about any... It does not (laughs) make you any less of a mom (laughs) or dad. Yeah, seriously. I mean, the fact that you survived more than three days of working full-time from home and taking care of a kid, that is Herculean. That is... I mean, I can't do it. And I thank my lucky stars that daycare exists and that we have enough money to send our little to daycare because my god i don't think we're meant to raise our kids all by ourselves you definitely aren't and even if you're whatever that looks like for you you should not feel any guilt about saying that you need a break from your children um short term long term whatever that looks like i think that one of the best things (laughs) you know you can do to be a good mom is to try to keep yourself healthy and sane. And that looks different for everyone. People get their energy and joy from different places. That includes your children. That includes you. And we should be taught to be trying to find that. Totally. We got another letter 
Hi, Mom and Dad. I just wanted to thank you for today's episode that featured Zach's interview with Chris Garcia about his Finding Rafi podcast. As they touched upon the impact of the Armenian genocide on Rafi's career, it dawned on me that this was something important I could share with our nine-year-old son, who has enjoyed his music when he was younger, as have my husband and I. Having just paused to reflect on family and ancestors we have lost in Armenian Genocide Recognition Day the day before, I realized what a positive and powerful discussion point this could be with our child, how a musician was shaped through his family's heritage to share his gift with kids all over the world. Thanks for sparking something so personally meaningful to share with our son, an episode of Unexpected Meaning. Wow, I did not know that Armenian Genocide Recognition Day was last week. That's really good timing. And thank you so much. I'm glad that this resonated as much for you as it did for me when I first heard the podcast. So it's an amazing story. And for Rafi to have like alchemized all of that pain and sorrow into what he has made is truly an incredible feat. If you liked that piece from the interview, you should definitely listen to the podcast. There's at least one full episode that just talks about how this experience and his like order of where he falls in his family and who had directly experienced what came to make him the empathetic person that he really was and how that influenced his music, which is touched upon in the interview, but is really gone into in, I think, like the second or third episode of the podcast. And it is beautiful and wonderful. And I would highly recommend listening to it. And there's stuff in there that you can definitely share with your son. Totally. Yeah, it's episode two. It's called Impressions of Armenia. That was a highlight episode for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I that was the like game changer for me that I was like, there's so much more depth here than I initially thought when we were like, oh, we're gonna interview. Let's listen to this podcast. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what this is like, fascinating. And such a good like that you we think we know these people and we have no idea about what their lives looked like when they were little and what people around them went through and how much that influenced who they became and what they were able to give to the world. I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah, 100%. Okay, we have one more. This is so fun. Thank you for sending us all this stuff. If Noah is into other languages, I highly recommend introducing her to Moana in Maori. It's all available on YouTube, I believe. It's amazing because many of the original voice actors sing their own singing in Maori. And it's a great opportunity to teach your kids about an amazing indigenous culture. Sincerely, childless. Until October. And jamming to Disney in the shower. Well, childless until October. Mazel tov, that's very exciting. And this is a great recommendation. I'm going to actually do this with Noah tonight. I got a preview of this letter. So I have already played it with the kids like as soon as it came in. Wana. It's amazing. I mean, it's so beautiful. And on YouTube, it's like actually the people, you can see the voice actor singing and it's really cool. Thank you all for writing in. We love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts, email us at momandad at slate.com or you can always record a voice memo and email that in too. That's momandad at slate.com. Okay, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into today's listener question. If you're new to our show, welcome. Whether you're a parent, educator, or just interested in this wild journey, we're so glad to have you. Here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting, we share our parenting triumphs and fails, 
offer some advice, and share recommendations of things we love. We're here twice a week on Monday and Thursday. So subscribe to never miss an episode. Let's hear our listener question. It's being read, as always, by the incomparable Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, our toddler is turning two. She's generally a great little sleeper, and we've gotten used to a routine of having her sleep in from roughly 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Lately, that bedtime doesn't seem to suit her. She whines, tantrums, and plays in her crib, sometimes quietly, sometimes not, for an hour or often more. She's been a true pandemic baby in that she didn't attend daycare at all until she was 21 months old. And due to snow closures and COVID quarantines, didn't attend daily until about five weeks ago. It seems to me like she's coming home from daycare excited by playing with other kids and has trouble winding down. She's definitely quicker to display frustration in the evening than she is when she's with us all weekend and wants to run and jump around, evade getting her jammies on and otherwise cause a ruckus. My husband interprets this as overtired and overstimulated and wants to put her to bed even earlier. But a 5.30 bedtime is ridiculous, isn't it? What we're doing isn't really working and is making everyone sad in the evening. Any suggestions? We also have a six-month-old baby who needs attention too. Thank you. Toddler bedtime drama. Okay, toddler sleep is the worst. Sleep in general with kids, I think, is just like so hard. So The first thing I wanted to talk about was something that's known as after-school restraint collapse, because I think that this is part of what you're seeing. And this is basically when your kid has spent all day being wonderful and darling at school and really just not putting out all those emotions that they may have during the day, even if they're not. I think people think like, well, my kid's pretty calm at home. It's like, yes, but they have the opportunity to be sad about things and angry about things and, you know, have these little one-off moments. Well, a lot of kids do not do that at school because the system of school is much more like we need to follow these rules and live in here. So when they get home, it is like all of that, like uh, imagine storing all of that and then you see this safe person (laughs) and it just like all comes out. So I think part of the exhaustion you're seeing is from this. And the best way to fight that is with routine. So I don't know what your child specifically needs, but for some kids, it's a physical release. Like they need to go for a bike ride or jump on a trampoline or something when they get home to get that out, even though they seem tired. For other kids, uh, particularly if your child is introverted and so what has happened is all day the energy has been sucked out and they haven't been recharged they may need a period of quiet time i will say that it's like this seems like a good opportunity for screen time but at this age in my experience the screen time makes things a thousand times worse so if you can just encourage some kind of I just find that when you give the kids the screen time, like, yes, they're zoned in and so they're not bothering you. But then when you go to take the screen time away, you've now mounted this like release along with this idea that like watching all of this is is stimulating, but they've been physically still. And so for my kids, that screen time right after school just always leads to larger, larger tantrums, larger just issues and this total meltdown during dinner, particularly for Oliver when he was going to like half day preschool, but every day. It was so much for him that basically when I picked him up, we didn't do 
any like I restrained from asking like how was your day like he couldn't handle any of that I just gave a I'm so excited to see you big hug go home put him in a quiet space to do an activity he loved magnetiles in an audiobook or looking at books in his room where we weren't going to bother him like giving him that space and then having him come out to kind of rejoin like we'd set a timer and that would be his quiet time and we found that to really help our entire evening progress like I understand that this is about bedtime but it's like you're having these meltdowns know that there's like a lot of factors (laughs) at play right like it's been a very exhausting day like is there a way to kind of give that midday recharge I also think like look at does your child need a snack or is the meal time kind of at the wrong wrong time you know we uh, have really found that like if I can feed everyone sort of a pseudo dinner around four o'clock when we're all back here it makes our whole evening just kind of a little bit easier because they've tanked so low that by the time you have a 5.30 or 6 dinner, it's like for these little kids, it's it's just too much. Like they're in that <laughs> zone. Yeah. And your daughter is just under two. She's close in age to to my Ami, who is a year and a half. And you say your husband thinks, your husband interprets this behavior as overtired and overstimulated and wants to put her to bed even earlier I think she just needs to stay up later. Like your kid is getting older <gasps> and you know, we, we put Ami to bed at seven, you know, maybe when he was like a year old or a year and a quarter, but he just wanted to be like playing with his sister. And now we let him stay up until like seven thirty, seven forty-five, And that, that's just, that's just um, what happens. Our kids are growing up and they want to hang in the evening a little bit more. So so perhaps experiment with the opposite. Rather than putting them to bed at 5.30, see what happens if you let them stay up for an extra half hour. I'm going to disagree. <laughs> Good. Let's battle. Let's battle. So I think earlier is better. I think if, they, if at 5.30 they are tired, then that may mean that you're going down at 5 or 5.15. And I would oh try God. it and see because sometimes these kids do need some extra sleep. And if you put them down early... Zach's like, okay, I'll accept this. <laughs> and I know, no. <laughs> I've always been like an How are they not going to wake up at like 4 a.m. if you're putting Because the- for, by some like crazy, let, let's have a Google off. By some crazy thing, when you put your kids down earlier, they sleep till the same wake up time. <laughs> That's been my experience. Okay, I know. We're going to get like a thousand emails that are like, no, your kid's going to be up at 5 a.m. <laughs> I mean, I think in general with toddler sleep, it's like you should try a bunch of different things. But my experience has been that when we went through periods like this, sometimes they needed to go to bed early. And that just meant that they needed those couple extra hours of sleep and they would sleep a little bit longer. It just seems like you're missing that sleep window because. You know, she's saying, like, she whines, she has tantrums, she plays in her crib. Like, all of this to me says, like, you have missed the sleep window. So if you put her down at 530, does she fall right asleep? Because if she does, then she's tired. But if she doesn't, then I think maybe that's right. Like, maybe what you need is some kind of after-school routine that stops the tantrum in its place. And then you can kind of have this second evening time, you know, where, Zach, like you said, you extend it to seven, be up a little bit more, and then go to sleep. I would love for Ami to go to sleep at 5.30. That would be incredible. Well, Noah's up till 8 anyways. But no, I mean, hey, whatever works. And what our kids are nothing if not science experiments for us to tinker with. So please report back. Try the 5.30, try 7.30. Just try it all. Let us know. So wait, you're... <laughs> okay, all of my kids are in their room by 7. 
<laughs> by seven. I am jealous. Yep. I think that's amazing. No, they don't all go to sleep, but I'm also <laughs> we call it off duty. I'm like, up, oh. <laughs> mom's off duty. I would love to get there. I mean, I think Noah is is needy and like she's just getting to the point where she'll go in her room and and play by herself and if i could get her in there at seven i totally would i would love to have a life during the week we're like jammies on turn your podcast on i i mean i went through a period with henry now granted he was i had henry and then two years later had oliver so about that time henry would like afternoon nap until late be up for like maybe two hours and then go back to bed. That's good living. Now, he's an early morning. He's always been an early what morning time? riser, even as a baby. He gets up like between 5.30 and 6. Oh, my God. Now he is. But he's done that his whole life. We are finally now having him sleep a little bit later, which is great. But also because we're in school this year. But like in homeschool, it's like, you can sleep. <laughs> Please sleep in. But, you know, as he got older, too, it was like he... Because he got up, he gets up at 5.30, he gets himself dressed, he goes downstairs, he makes his breakfast. Like, sometimes he makes me a weird smoothie and brings it to me. I know, it's very sweet. (laughs) They never taste right. Here, Mom, it's tomatoes, onion, and uh, ginger. He makes them with milk and adds, like, lemon juice. And he likes it, but to me, like, no thank you. I do agree, though, that, like, we think we know all this about sleep. But, like, every adult is different. Like, if, if your friend has ever given you sleep advice, like, did that work for you? I think about that a lot because I'm like, I now am in a set habit of how I sleep and this is how I sleep and I'm clearly functional most days. So what time is dinner? We eat dinner like between 530 and six. And the crudite thing is like at five, five thirty. At like four when we all get home, we do the crudite thing. And then if someone is maybe like too tired or having trouble, because sometimes that happens, they can go upstairs and get ready for bed early and read a book. And if they don't like what's being served for dinner, that's kind of what we do. You know, it's different here, too, because in a normal year when Henry, like if we were all homeschooling, which is what we'll be doing next year, like no one will be at full-time school. We have breakfast as a family before Jeff goes to work. We This year's a little bit harder because we're out the door at different times. So it's like we already have that family meal. So I don't have to pull for that as much at dinner because in my house, like the evening is kind of a shit show. Like it's, it's just harder. I don't, I don't know if that's everybody's, but for us, like dinner is hard. During the pandemic, we did our big meal as lunch and that was to die for. I would do that if I could figure out a way (laughs) to get Jeff home for lunch. Like the conversation was great. We all felt better eating our big meal in the middle of the day. Um, And then dinner could be more like lunch. Like I'd pack it and the kids would just go outside and eat or whatever time they got hungry. It was amazing, but that doesn't work with a schedule where, you know, then he misses out on seeing us and I don't like that. And yeah. But if you have babies, put them to bed and then you guys have your dinner. Have your dinner at 7. Put them down at 5.30. Have an adult's dinner at 7 and enjoy that. That sounds dreamy. Or stay up with them late. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. (laughs) Toddler Bedtime Drama, TBD. Let us know how your experiments go in whatever hours of the the day they come. Uh, If you have a dilemma you want us to ponder, email us at slate.com. Okay. Now it is time for some recommendations. We have double recommendations just because Elizabeth and I have some stuff we're excited about. So we're going to each share a few. Let's do the first round, starting with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what is your first recommendation? Okay, so I am recommending something called Metaphor Dice, which I have had in my homeschool kind of toolbox for a while. And basically, it is a set of, I think, nine dice come in the thing. But there's a red, a white, and a blue. And they have different 
things on them and you roll them and you get a metaphor. And we use them for writing prompts. But but I busted these out at a family meal this weekend where I would roll it and then we would all like try to make sense of it. So I thought we could play yes. right now. Okay, so I'm gonna roll. I'm rolling the dice. Okay, so this says my soul, and then you say is like a last minute mirror. And then I would say, like, okay, well, my soul, what this, like, my essence <laughs> is such that, you know, what it, it displays back to me right at the moment before I'm going to do something <laughs> of what is actually in there, such that I can, can make, you know, myself known and really think about what I'm doing. So the objective is to... Explain the metaphor, make the metaphor work. I mean, there's all... When I give it to them in school, we roll it and they... The kids, like, maybe write a poem about it or write one additional line. And sometimes they don't make any sense. Sometimes they're great. But we've just been trying to explain them. So here, Zach, I'll give you one. Here we go. Okay. Yours is, death is like an unruly promise. Death is like an unruly promise. We're all going to die, but we can't control how or when. It's way deeper than you thought, right? I need some Tylenol. Death is like an unruly promise. These are cool. So there's all kinds of different. I think I, I chose the dramatic. I don't. I didn't really mean to, but okay, let's do another one. Let me get three three different. Dun, ta, da. It's been really fun. It's a great way to like introduce metaphors. Like what's been fun is since we've been doing this. Um, one, the kids think it's hysterical. And two, now they're like trying to make up metaphors, which is just a fun way to live your life. Whoa. All right. We have time is like a vacant wedding gown. Time is like a vacant wedding gown. And so, again, you roll and then you just kind of talk about what it means to you. Like that's actually the, that's actually like what the game says you're supposed to do. The game is like for writing prompts. So it does come with like a little pamphlet. The object, roll the dice until you formulate a metaphor that speaks to you. One you think you could explore for a few minutes in writing. But we've just been rolling them and talking about them at dinner. And it also has like, you can supply the verbs. You could change the verb to say is not a or was never or thought he was a. It kind of reminds me of the those um, Brian Eno's oblique strategies. Do you ever hear about those? No. Brian Eno is a famous musician and producer. And he wrote over 100 uh, oblique strategies it's a card-based method for promoting creativity jointly. When it was first published in 1975, like, for instance, use an old idea. That's one. Are there sections? Consider transitions. Yeah, this is very similar in that, like, it's just supposed to be thought-provoking. I was just thinking, like, if you're a musical family, as you said that, you could roll this and that could be the title of the song. You could have someone make up a play with these you, you know, you could play charades with these. Like, I have a million ideas. I literally, we were having trouble getting everyone to come to the table. And I was like, the metaphor dice were out. And so I rolled it. And then Jeff and I were kind of discussing it. And then the kids were laughing because it's funny. And then when, you know, they don't understand a lot. So their explanations of them are hysterical. And it's just super, it's just like super fun, something funny. It's portable. It's not very expensive that you can use. And and fundamentally, I like too that we're sort of learning. I think one of the hardest things to teach are sort of these like 
things like metaphors, you know, these like things that we do in writing that fundamentally you kind of have to memorize, I guess, and then know that you're seeing that. This just makes it more fun. Like, hey, metaphors are actually super fun. And they make you sound way smarter than you actually are. I mean, that's what the kids now when they say them, you know, they'll say this bedtime is like, you know, my stuffed animal in the dryer. And it's that's funny. I mean, it's just (laughs) metaphor dice. I love it. Metaphor dice. Give it a try. My recommendation for the day. Spring has begun. Therefore, I'm starting to switch over from hot coffee to cold brew. And cold brew is so expensive if you buy it at the store and so you should make your own i a couple years ago spent 30 bucks or something on the takea cold brew coffee maker you can get it in i think you can get it in 32 ounce or 64 ounce Uh, you can get it at bed bath and beyond and you just grind a bunch of coffee put it in this little central chamber pour some water into it and shake it up and then just put it in your fridge for a day and the next day you have is it hot water or cold water cold filtered water they recommend but as long as you shake it shake it and then it'll just sit steeping in the grounds for a day you can get away with 12 hours but i like to wait 24 hours if you leave it if you leave the the grounds chamber in there for more than 24 hours i find that the coffee gets a little bitter so 24 hours take the chamber out and then you have for the 32 ounce which i have you have at least like two full pints of delicious cold brew that's going to save you so much money i add a little oat milk to it it's like it's good living and it really it like works because i am a sucker and buy the big jugs of it at the grocery store and it is so expensive (laughs) yeah it's like completely concentrated like you know it's it's a the drug that you want it to be i'm drinking it right now see you want to do another round of, of Rex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a quick one because this is one that I've recommended probably about this time every year. <laughs> to prepare for summer, I am a huge fan of the Summer Brain Quest books for kids. I'm not a huge fan usually of like the worksheets from Brain Quest books, but the summer ones come with this pull out map and as the kids do it they get to put stickers on it it has like extra activities in the back it has a book list of like great books to check out at the library which is always nice like a here's some guided reading like the kids like to pick whatever but it's nice for to be like can we get through this list together can you read a couple of these which is really lovely and they have from pre-k all the way through sixth grade I like them because it is something that we can take with us on trips or whatever we're doing in the summer. And the kids just know that that is what they're going to do. Like if we're sitting at a restaurant or if we want to go out to a brewery, like we bring these books, they work on them. It's a great mix of like, here's a math, a page of like really fun kind of math questions. Here's a page of read and do this together. The little kid ones are, you know, letters and uh, some tracing of the letters and some just like finding things that begin with that. So all stuff they can pretty much do with like what I would call light guidance. So you need to be there to provide some support. You're all sitting at a meal, but it's not like teaching them something. My kids like ask for them. They know that as May, I usually buy them in May um, and they're like, are the summer brain quests coming? So we just got ours that came in the mail and I'm just a huge fan. So if you're looking for something like that this summer to do, take them with you. For the older kids, do tear out the answers in the back. How much are they? The Brain Quest books are about $9. Yeah, I've, I've got great memories of Brain Quest growing up. So I'm, I'm really interested in this. There's something about the stickers in the map. Make it even more fun. Cool. Um, I'm going to recommend a book today by the great Sarah Polly. Sarah Polly is a Canadian filmmaker 
one of my favorite filmmakers, she made Take This Waltz and Away From Her and then this documentary about her family, which is like she kind of like reinvented or, or really like broke so many rules of storytelling in the most incredible way with this film she made about her family called Stories We Tell. And now she has a book of essays out called Run Towards the Danger. And that title is inspired by some prescriptive advice she got from a, a doctor who helps people recover from traumatic brain injuries. Sarah Polly was at her local YMCA and a massive fire extinguisher fell on her head, leading to like three years of profound brain fog and headaches and migraines and lack of focus. Like she couldn't make films. She couldn't write. She couldn't take care of her kids. She just like had to like sit in a dark room for so long. And then finally she went to like specialist after specialist. And finally she found this guy who was like, no, you are basically like babying yourself. And what you need to do is run towards the danger. In other words, go to a party with loud lights and sounds. And like when you start to feel like you're having these terrible headaches, like endure and stay there. And that was like the thing that that helped her heal. And I've just been thinking a lot about it as a metaphor. Speaking of metaphors, run towards the danger. One of her essays is about that. It's about her recovery from this terrible brain injury. But she writes about being a child actress in Canada. And another essay, she's an amazing writer. And um, it is out now through Penguin Press. Run Towards the Danger by Sarah Polly. I literally just added it to my, my Libby uh, audiobook queue. All right. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds on Thursday. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. And if you rely on this show for parenting advice, please consider signing up for Slate Plus. It's the best way to support this show. Members will never hear another ad on any other Slate podcast. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Again, that's slate.com slash momanddadplus. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Jasmine Ellis. For Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.